0: You're listening to TIP.
1: Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of the Bitcoin Fundamentals Podcast. I can honestly say that my favorite part of this job is having the macro and Bitcoin mastermind discussions because it's such a raw and unscripted conversation where we talk about a whole host of important things that are happening in the markets. This episode is no different, and I have back by popular demand attorney and adjunct professor Joe Carlosari entrepreneur and venture capitalist Jay Gold, and medical doctor turned fund manager Jeff Ross. We cover the Luna meltdown, the global bond market sell-off, the equity sell-off, commodities blowing out, Bitcoin policy and legal, and many other topics. Get ready. You're not going to want to miss this banter and uh, just candid back and forth. And with that, here's the second quarter mastermind discussion.
0: You are listening to Bitcoin Fundamentals by the Investors Podcast Network. Now, for your host, Preston Pish.
1: All right. Hey, everyone, welcome to the show. I've got the crew here Jay, Joe, Jeff, guys, welcome back. We got a lot of really good feedback on the first discussion because it was so candid. And we started chatting as soon as this connected. And I said, wait, stop. Let me hit record (laughs) and let's get this going. Because holy moly, what's going on here? What is going
2: (laughs) on? My Lord. As everybody knows, it's May 11th, 9 p.m. We've seen a show today. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, most of the people listening to this are from the future. And I'm sure this event's going to go down in the books, right? The Luna stablecoin meltdown just happened. We're literally still experiencing it. I think Luna's trading, the stablecoin's trading at like 60 or 70 cents right now. I'm pretty sure it's going to go straight to zero with enough time. But yeah, just throw it out there to you guys, just around the room from the last time we talked, whatever you guys want to throw out there as you intro yourself. Feel free to to have at it. Uh, We'll start with Jeff. Go ahead.
0: So, yeah, quick intro Jeff Ross, former doctor, now hedge fund manager, and I run an RIA called Baleshire Capital Management. Discovered Bitcoin. I like to say I discovered Bitcoin in 2016, but I got held back to the class of 2019 because it took me that long to figure out what Bitcoin was and how special it is. And I spend a lot of my time on Twitter these days and and doing podcasts like this just talking about Bitcoin, why it's better money, and how it's going to change the world for the better. So, that's me in a nutshell.
3: Joe, go ahead. Yeah. Hi, Joe Carlosari. I'm a commercial litigator with Smith Amundsen in Chicago. I'm also the co-chair of the Blockchain, FinTech, and Cryptocurrency Practice Group. Also a uh, armchair economist and investor. been investing since before I was 18 through a custodial account with my dad and very avid follower of financial markets.
2: Jay Gould, entrepreneur, investor, Bitcoiner since 2016, run a podcast as well, and angel investor in technology companies as well.
1: So guys, before we get into the Luna explosion and all all that stuff, one of the comments for me that really just sticks out in the past week, that when I heard this, I was like, you have got to be kidding me that this was just said out loud. And it was when Powell described the current situation as deleveraging as the landing is going to be soft-ish. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: and when I heard that, I was like, oh my God, this is going to be a disaster. Correct? Like well, what, what yeah. was your
2: guys' take? So Joe Joe showed me a chart today. Joe, if you want to just talk about the Fed fund, I never realized this, but like since 1990, every time the Fed fund rate has hit a high, the next time it hits a high, it's never past that, which maybe you can speak to that, Joe, because I thought that was really an interesting data point.
3: Yeah, no. The, the yeah, historically, the Fed funds has never gotten back up to the prior high, which is really it just shows you at some point something breaks, right? And that's what we're watching. And I think the big question now is: is something broken? Are we at the point where you know this is it, or are they going to con- keep the uh, the pedal on the gas? But to Preston's point, it's really interesting, Preston, because at this point, given they're so close to the lower bound, given the fact that they've had to do so much unconventional monetary policy to keep the system running. I really think they focus a ton on communication. I mean, the Fed at this point is all about these press conferences setting expectations, right? And to your point, I thought when he said softish landing, because it's such an unusual phrase, that it might've just been an off the cuff remark. But if you go and look, the Federal Reserve Bank of New York's president, John Williams, used the exact same terminology Mm -hmm. in a press report. He said, we think we can curb inflation and ensure a softish landing. So that tells me they round tabled this. That the, yeah, go look it up. It's amazing. No they round tabled the- No yeah, way. Yeah. Go look it up. Google it. He just said it yesterday in a press release. He used the same terminology, softish landing, which means that they round tabled it. They realized this is going to cause havoc in financial markets. And they said, we have to do it. We have to take the pain. We have to take our medicine this time, because if we don't, inflation is going to run hot and get out of control. So I think that's where their mindset is. We can talk about that later on, whether the inflation's real or you know how long it's gonna stick around, what's driving it. But to me, I think that shows you where they're at.
1: I mean, they can they can say this as long as they want, but they're gonna break something. Like something's about to break, and I think it's very imminent. I don't think that this is I don't think something's gonna break in six months. I think we are within a one quarter time frame, like in the next three months, something is it's going, broken. Bro- no, yeah. Okay.
3: It's broken right now. I mean, look yeah. at fixed income; it's an absolute disaster. Disaster. Um, the last time we spoke, I was uh, the lone bull in the podcast. Boy, do I have egg in my face! And kudos <laughs> to Jay for, for getting it right about us going further. But what I will tell you is, you know, my expectation, and I think Jeff was in the same place at the time. I thought yields were going to top. Right. I thought we were entering a peak where, where yeah. yields were going to fall at that point. And oh my God! I mean, a ten year above three point one. With the Fed having done seventy-five bit hikes, I mean that's a, that's a catastrophe. It's unreal. That, that, that's just yeah. And look at where mortgage rates are. You see it across every sector. Credit conditions are so tight right now compared to where they were even a year ago.
1: Well, and, and he Joe, did see- he he, he God, I'm sorry. No, no, I was just going to say, in in on Joe's behalf, I really enjoyed your take on the last round because typically what you find is with all these higher prices, and I mean we're seeing. We're not seeing 8% like they're reporting. Like, I'm looking at the gasoline prices, I'm looking at diesel prices, and like they're up over 100% just on the year to date, let alone annualized, right? So, like, typically those scenarios are going to stall things out. You're going to see it kind of plateau. You see the fixed income market. For 40 years, we've seen this. The fixed income market starts to front run that. They start bidding it, and you see those yields come down. And so I think to your and and historically when that's happened and when that's played out you see equities continue to run. And after our chat, I mean, you were right there for quite a few weeks, you and I saw each other down in Miami and I was like, "Hey Joe, buddy, you nailed it." And only for kind of what we were seeing, I guess, just t- totally stranglehold what has traditionally played out and now it's just getting disgusting.
3: You've had a four standard deviation move in bonds across up and down the curve. That's catastrophic. You're not going to be able to get any traction in equity market run without yields coming down, particularly at the long end. But to your point about the inflation, I mean today's report, which we'll we'll get to, I'm sure the the most concerning thing about it. I finally got a chance to dig into it this afternoon. Is you're seeing some of the stickier components of CPI actually start to pick up, and that's really concerning. Like shelter, that's not coming back down quickly. So to me, that's that's really troublesome, and they're they're really stuck. They, they, I wouldn't want to be a central banker at this point. Who does Jay? What were you going to say?
2: No, I was just going to say that um, you know when the Fed spoke recently, he said that seventy five basis point increase is something that's basically not in the cards, not actively considering. Yeah. So the the risk, in in my opinion, is that they're going to drag this on and they're going to keep hiking, maybe twenty five bips, maybe fifty, and then twenty five and twenty. And I think that's that's kind of the pro- prolonging this could be a problem.
1: I heard somebody make the argument so when you're looking at what's causing the inflation it's a breakdown in supply chains it's a total I mean at the core of it and I think what all bitcoiners agree is at the core of all of this is you're mutilating the economic calculation that's taking place and so you could maybe and this this might be a stretch for me to make this argument but I've heard this argument and maybe the, maybe it's valid so as you tighten and you make it more difficult for these businesses to do the performance of the labor that they're doing maybe you actually disrupt those supply chains even worse than they already are by tightening into it causing the inflation which is materializing itself out of not enough supply getting to all this this demand that's in the market maybe you accelerate that and i at this point i have no idea this thing, this thing's a monstrosity of just, I mean, it's a disaster, right? It's a total disaster. So then, so you have that happening in just traditional markets, and then we have Luna explosion. You know, for people who aren't familiar with Luna, so here's the idea around it. So this guy Do Kwan, stands up this stable coin he also has his own coin that was an ICO. They raised a bunch of funds by just dumping these things into the market. I have no idea what their strategy was to offload them and how how many VCs were involved or whatever. But anyway, they have a stable coin that is supposedly supposed to be synthetically pegged to the dollar, and it's backed by Bitcoin, but not completely backed. It just has some backing, and then they have some other, I guess, things in their treasury to defend the peg. Well, it appears was it Citadel? Who was I know Citadel well, was yeah.
3: in, in that's a rumor. Yeah.
1: yeah. Nobody really knows exactly who pulled this off, but they obviously saw that they could exploit it and they did. And they're just they're absolutely clobbering the thing right now. The Luna token was, you know, at a hundred dollars per coin. It's down to a dollar right now as they're selling those to try to defend the peg. They've sold all their Bitcoin. I mean, the thing is just a ticking time bomb before it literally both go to zero. And what I think people aren't understanding about this, who maybe aren't intimately familiar with the space, is you have this whole DeFi, or as I referred to it today as ClownFi, has all these dependencies wrapped around derivatives, contracts, and quote-unquote yield farming that's taking place all around this quote-unquote synthetic stablecoin and when you look at why this coin, this stable coin is different, in my opinion, I'm really curious to hear Joe's opinion on this one, but the reason why I think that this stable coin was so highly used is because it had a total lack of KYC attached to it like you do with, with USDC and also Tether, which you know supposedly, who, who the heck knows, I don't, I don't deal with these things, I just own Bitcoin, have US dollars that are actually in a treasury backing them. So, yeah, I mean so you have the whole defi space, all these other coins that are tethered to these things that are tied to these things in these off-unbanked derivatives. That is just a total cesspool of activity. And so, you know, when these things blow up, of course it's going to take whatever's tethered to it or whatever is closest to it with it at least in the short term provided some amazing buying opportunities in in my humble opinion for Bitcoiners, but that doesn't mean that the bottom is in and it doesn't mean that this broader macro setup might continue to apply severe pressure on the price of Bitcoin. So that's me talking way too much, but I I feel like I need to give an overview of what this is, especially for people that aren't intimately familiar with the space. Now, I'll open it up to you guys and just, do you guys have any additional thoughts or considerations or things that I'm not talking about that you think are important?
0: Joe, do you want to talk about stablecoins at all and Uh, your thoughts on it?
3: Yeah. Again, stablecoins is the main focus of the Federal Reserve of policymakers. They talk about it constantly. In fact, I think Jay and I were both in a clubhouse from yesterday. We were talking about the Fed financial stability report, which is really fascinating, uh, particularly because they're talking about some of the hard sell-offs in the bond market and the commodities market, but they're super focused on this. They think that this is a contagion risk for the global economy. It's kind of amazing considering it's like a $200 billion market globally, it shouldn't, you shouldn't think that, but I think they're, they're really concerned about the stablecoin's threat to the dollar. But to your point, Preston, I think the real key thing to look at this with respect to the market structure is that Bitcoin really is, we all know, it's what, what matters in this space. And all these other coins and DeFi protocols, and even Ethereum to an extent, I view it all as sort of a barnacle on the hull of the ship that is Bitcoin. And when there's the turbulence in the macroeconomic environment and Bitcoin starts to sell off, you see all these things blow up. So it's kind of a chain uh, reaction here. And it wasn't uh, dissimilar from what happened in the 2018 pop. right? Once Bitcoin starts to go down, all these projects fail. People flee, they try to get out, they need liquidity, and it's just a cash run. So uh, that's the way I think you look at it. And with respect to Luna in particular, I think it's a little bit of a different you know, dynamic And there's going to be, my prediction is there's going to be serious litigation that comes out of this for the simple reason that unlike most of the other stable coins, which purport to reflect the dollar, these things were promising substantial amounts of yield. They had venture capital backing them in excess. They had people sticking their necks out saying, don't worry, this thing's fully collateralized. And if you have exposure to US regulators and to the US legal system, you are going to have to bear consequences for that. That is not going to get off the hook. And in particular, Yellen is going to use this as the number one talking point to advance some regulation of the stablecoin market. She needed this. I think this gives her the perfect example, Exhibit A. Here, this market's blowing up, so we need to step in and save you from yourself. So I expect that wow. to come in. And And yeah. I didn't wow.
1: I did not think of any of that. So what you're really saying is there's some VCs out there. Uh, so, so it's t- probably be pretty concerned right
3: now. Oh, yeah. Because here's the thing. As many people know, if you, once you get big enough and you have a target on your back, it's pretty easy to file a lawsuit and there will be people coming after them based on their representations. And I mean, I'm not going to name names, but there is a fairly famous person in the quote unquote crypto space that has a Luna tattoo on their arm. So uh, I, I'm just be, be he, nervous. He can't guys. get
2: away from that. <laughs>
3: right. I mean, it, it, it's you when you have that exposure, don't be surprised if you come, uh, somebody comes knocking with a subpoena on your door. Wow! I
0: mean, let's be honest. That tattoo was uh, was embarrassing before Luna even clapped. <laughs> <laughs>
3: sorry,
0: could <laughs> Sorry, no. delete that. I uh, no, <laughs> sorry. no, no, no. I don't think I
1: think I think uh, everybody listening to you right now, Jeff, is nodding their head. How about your thoughts on on how it's interconnected with all the DeFi stuff? I mean, does this continue to unravel as as we're looking at this in the coming couple weeks? Does the pain train I mean I'm looking down coin market cap and like everything there is down 20 30 percent today that's not Bitcoin does that I, does that continue to, to roll
3: out today oh uh, I Jay, have thoughts it's a, but it's a disaster Jay go ahead
2: no no what I just said I have, I'm going to look I haven't I haven't even looked at it what he just said I'm looking right yeah, now
3: take it Joe yeah you know so my my view on this is it's the same wow. story I think that if you're only focused on Bitcoin and crypto and you're Ignoring what's going on in the legacy markets, you're missing the whole picture. Amen. If we can't, if we can't get stability in the bond market, most importantly, even more than the equity market, if we can't get some stability there. I think everything continues to sell off. Yes, that is the necessary condition to give us any sort of chance at even forget a rally at this point. We need to stabilize. We need a base. Like we need something that stops the freefall. This has all the hallmarks of a classic liquidity crisis across the board. That's why you see everything selling off.
1: And I think depending on when they step in, right, Joe? Like depending on when they step in, this thing could keep ripping down like hard, like and,
3: and even at this point, even bigger. Really accelerate, Preston. There's a huge assumption I think out there, and this is—I don't want to get all—I'm—I'm I'm not a super bear, okay? I'm not Mr. Doomsday on this, but I'm just telling you, I think there's assumption out there that stepping in is going to stop this necessarily. Like, oh, they can—they can totally backstop that. I don't know if that's the case. I think it's a huge assumption.
2: Well, I
1: think you're a talk with market. So, like if you're talking the bonds, I'm with you. I think if they step in right now, it's going to accelerate the sell-off in bonds. Because at that point, I think any bond trader with even an IQ of 10 can look at this and say, Hold on a second. I'm pretty sure this is unsustainable. And if I'm sitting on a 30-year bond, I'm about to get my face ripped off. And now I'm really beca- now, I just really became a seller. In equities. I think it could bounce, and I think you could, depending on that, what magnitude they step in with the printing. I think it could bounce significantly.
2: Yeah, why? I mean, why? You, what, what's the catalyst for them to step in right now?
1: Things breaking, like just the total lack of liquidity in in credit markets,
3: right? Yeah. Like, so if you if you go to that, it's it's fascinating, guys. And anybody who's listening, I I totally recommend that you will check out. It just was released on Monday. It's a May ninth financial stability report from the Fed. It's released twice a year. You can go in, they specifically cite Jay. We were reading portions of this yesterday that lack of liquidity across the SP 500 e mini, lack of liquidity across sections of the bond market, even commodities. I mean, there are people getting squeezed. And I think that, you know, you see this 40 year line of truth, right, in the, the long, t- long bond in the 20 year, 10 year. And I think people were trading off that. I think people took a leverage position saying, okay, yields have to peak here. And they were buying the long bond and they've gotten crushed. And you've seen this cascade of liquidity issues from that.
0: Let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors.
4: Today's episode is sponsored by Range Rover Sport. Range Rover leads by example with their dynamic design that rises to the occasion. It's got powerful on road performance and commanding all terrain capabilities, coupled with signature Range Rover refinement. The third generation Range Rover Sport is the most desirable, advanced, and dynamically capable one yet, redefining sporting luxury. You can enjoy a dynamic drive and total comfort with optional 22-way adjustable heated and ventilated electric memory front seats with massage function. Design your Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. That's LandRoverUSA.com. Have you ever wondered if there's an AI tool like ChatGBT specifically built for the stock market? Try it out today and ask Meka questions like, what is the financial health of Microsoft? How much cash does Copart hold on its balance sheet? What is the return on invested capital of Adobe or millions of other prompts? Check it out today for free at Meka.com. That's M-E-Y-K-A.com. And how many of the world's greatest investors thrive in both good times and bad. The Holy Grail of Investing by Tony Robbins is available now wherever books are sold. All right, back to the show. I would, Jay, I would describe
1: it like this. Like in your body, you got the blood that flows through your veins and you got large arteries and then you got your capillaries, right? Like they're already seeing, like out on the extremities, that there's no liquidity anywhere to be found. These low vol like locations, like you're just seeing the liquidity just evaporate. Once some of those larger like veins and arteries start losing liquidity, I mean, they have to step in and just pump the patient with more liquidity is fast and at rates that I don't even think we can comprehend. I think that the that the amount that they're gonna have to stuff into this at whatever point that is, is gonna make the March 2020 liquidity insertion look like a total joke.
3: Well, the crazy thing, Preston, and I'd like to get Jeff's take on this is that why is there no liquidity? I mean, if you think about it, we're st- we still have accommodative policies. You've got negative real yields. You've yeah, got it, you know Fed funds at at seventy five bips.
1: It's all consolidating in the market cap, right? So, like they're going to do. So, like this last round, they inserted all that printing into the system. Via the bond market, most of it went in via the bond market. Some of it went in through Triple P, you know, but collectively across the globe, they've been doing it in, via the bond market because nobody understands the bond market. And if they did understand how much they were debasing the currency, they would, the people would be up in arms, right? Like, look at, here's an example.
3: But QT hasn't, what well, QT hasn't stopped, started yet, right? June 1st is when they're starting QT. Yes, correct. So do so, so you think it's just traders? They're just pulling, they're pulling liquidity. No, no, they're no. just being risk-off.
1: I, th- I think you have some of that going on, but I think where most of the liquidity goes is into the ownership of equity and it bids the, the market cap of equity. And so like, you, have, you have total consolidation of equity into the hands of a few people, right? And so when you put all this money into the system and people are out there spending it and, and it, just, it just percolates straight into the hands of the equity holders, and so then what those equity holders do? They have to own something scarce. Well, you can only own, you can only bid up so much commodities. They're perishable for the most part. Equities, there's scarcity in the shares if it's if it's a company that's profitable or has, you know, exponential growth on its revenue. So they're just taking all that that buying power and they're just stuffing it into a higher and higher market cap of equity, anything equity based. Right. And so when we're watching the credit explode like we are in the fixed income market, and then they're having to reprice that equity because of those cost of capital is going up, you can clearly see that it's, you know, 8.3% after today. Like those valuations have to come down. They have to come down. So that I think we're seeing that playing out. And so some of it's going into liquidity, some of it's just total impairment, you know broken promises. And then a lot of it's just getting stuffed into, or at least it was, not right now, but you know, leading up to all this this contraction that, that's happening over the last since Christmas, we'll call it. It was just getting bid into to market prices up to that point.
3: Jeff, what do you think?
0: I'm going to say something shocking, you guys. You know how I've been a bear since early January, right? Oh boy. I, right? Okay, ready? Don't
1: do it. Don't do it.
0: I'm going to do it. <laughs> I'm, tilting, I'm tilting bullish for the short term. All right? Now hear me out. The macro environment For sucks. what
1: market? For what market? You need to specify for,
0: this. For risk on assets, Okay. Including, including Bitcoin. I think that for several reasons. In fact, I tweeted this yesterday morning. So before CPI came out, before we knew anything. I said, I am very macro bearish, but here is something that could help tilt me to become slightly bullish for the next three months?" And I said, three things would need to happen. Number one, the CPI would need to come out at approximately 8.5% or lower. Check. We got that, right? What does that say? Now, we all know the CPI isn't real, right? We Blah, blah, blah. We have all our reasons for it's actually much higher than that. Okay. So that's a different discussion. CPI came out 8.3%, a little bit lower. What does that say? We've probably peaked in inflation for the short term, for the time being. That's what I was saying would probably happen a couple months ago. I got lucky it did happen here. right? I was actually a month early. I thought we might have peaked two months ago, but it turns out we just, we just peaked last month, probably. We could go higher again, but I don't think we will. I think we're now talking about disinflation for the rest of 2022. If we have peaked and the rate of change now is on a disinflationary path, that takes the pressure off of the Fed. And I think we saw that. And that's what I was talking about last week when I said, I feel like Something changed a little bit, and they gave themselves a little bit of a, a little bit of wiggle room for the first time. Versus being 100% hawkish, they tilted just ever so slightly dovish by saying we're taking the 75 bips rate raise off the table. We're delaying it a little bit for when we start actually doing the quantitative tightening things. I still think they're going to go through with this. I still think they're going to raise 50 bips at the next meeting for sure. But that's factor number two. If the market senses that inflation has peaked and it's no longer running away, it's no longer accelerating, but it's actually disinflationary, that takes a little bit of pressure off of the Fed. Okay? But here's the third and most important thing. I think that third quarter data, GDP data may actually surprise slightly to the upside. I think it may be actually flat to actually slightly accelerating relative to a year ago, third quarter 2021. So what do we have so far? Right now, right Q1 was negative 1.4 GDP. Q2 is definitely going to be a negative GDP number. We're in a recession right now. I think what we're going to get is a double dip recession. And in between, I think Q3. So basically, and again, markets look ahead, usually one to two months. I like to say just one and a half months. We're about a one and a half months away from the third quarter. Markets are basically completely pricing in this terrible Q2 I think they're going to start looking at what was coming in Q3, and we could have a bit of a resurgence in risk-on assets. Other things that tell me that I'm possibly right on this. I know this is a crazy call, right? Because I'm I've been so bearish for so long, and I'm still tilted bearish in my fund, but I'm less bearish now. The ten-year Treasury this morning after the CPI, what did it do? It spiked up above three, right? It caught three a point. Yep. And then suddenly, now what is it? Right now, I'm looking at two point eight eight right now. So it dropped about fifteen bips uh, intraday. Today. That, so I think the bond market actually possibly believes that we may start entering a disinflationary period. Normally, I don't like it when risk on assets don't like it when it's disinflation coupled with a decelerating GDP. But like I said, looking ahead now, Q3, I think we see some disinflation and a flat to slightly accelerating GDP. Risk on assets actually like that. One last thing, uh, so, and then we can, I'll throw this out for discussion. Back in 2007, 2008, before all that stuff happened, the markets knew something was going on, right? There were cracks in the foundation. People were kind of starting to freak out. The market started to tank down into, I believe it was um, March of 2008. Again, a good chart to look at is go look at the NASDAQ, go look at the Qs back then. They bottomed in March of 2008. And then we had a rally, strong rally, up and through like kind of mid May ish of 2008. That's what I think is going to happen. And then it really crashed, right? And then we all know yeah. what happened. It, it, and then it tanked after that. So, so I think we get a bit of a relief rally. And then I think we go into a second stronger recession, Q4 and Q1 of 2023. And that's when the Fed pivots. That's when things get super ugly. That's when QE4 comes on and it's going to utterly dwarf QE1, 2, 3 combined. And that's a whole different story. But for now, I'm actually slightly bullish that we're going to get a, a risk on asset relief rally. Lay into me.
3: I, don't no, I, I, I actually, Jeff. I, I actually I totally agree. agree. I, I think. I think you get a. I think you. I think what you're saying here is you get a bear market rally. You effectively get a bear market rally, which I, I think we're. You know, nothing goes straight down in financial markets. So I think we're primed for a rally here. Whether we go lower, uh, which is you know it's possible. Nobody knows. Nobody knows where the bottom is on this. But nothing is going to go straight down like this. They're going to try and pop it, and everybody's shorting these. So I don't think that you're, you're just going to see it continue to decline at this rate. I mean, this has been one of the most vicious rallies in history at this point, especially in the bond market. It's been a route, an absolute route for standard deviation move.
0: One quick caveat to what you just said, Joe, that when I think of a bear market rally, I think of kind of like a one to two, maybe three week long sort of thing that gets up basically to the top of its volatility range, like Bollinger Band kind of stuff. And then it tanks again. And so everybody shorts it at the top. I think this is going to be strong enough that it's going to fool people into thinking the bear market's over. We're going to regain moving averages, like serious moving averages, the 200 day, the 100 day. We're going to squirt through the Bollinger Bands to the upside. And it's going to pull lots of people with it into thinking we got through it and that the Fed did the right thing. And then it's going to crash and, and just destroy everybody. So I, to your point, totally agree, bear market rally. But I just want to emphasize, I think it's going to be a very strong bear market rally didn't that will you think-
3: fool a lot of people. And not to nitpick, but I thought I saw a tweet from you that, and maybe things have changed in the last couple of days, but didn't you think Bitcoin to a new all time high Uh, this summer?
0: I've said it's possible that it reaches a new all time high by mid May, although I don't think so. I think it's going to do similar (laughs) to what the NASDAQ did in 2008, where it it ramped up very high, didn't quite get to that previous all time high. I think NASDAQ risk on assets in general, so small cap stocks, things like that, and Bitcoin, I could see Bitcoin getting up to 60K, 55K, 65K, somewhere in that range. And then just collapsing from there again.
1: So, just a historical note for people the NASDAQ in 2008 sold off 25%. Then it had a bounce of 23% for almost a full recovery, not not a full recovery, but it was kind of what you're describing, where it Uh it went outside of what you would expect a, a vol range would be. It then sold off from that level down 50% and from the original top, it was down 54%. Now, what I think is interesting is once it got beyond, let's see here. Well, once it, once it went back down to the previous low that was negative 25% in 2008, it came completely unglu- unglued that second time once it got through that negative 25%. Now, when we look at the existing setup that we have right now, and I'm just talking about the NASDAQ, we are down, I believe we're down like 28% right now. See right. Here.
2: Okay. It's, it's, seven, it's about 17 for the S&P
1: too. Yeah. The, okay. So on the NASDAQ, we're down 29% right now. We've already had a sell-off that was as deep as 23 to 24%, and we had a bounce that was like the 2008, which was up 18%, and now we're back down to 28%.
2: So I I don't. Yeah.
1: yeah. So I guess what I'm where I'm going at, Jeff, just to try to challenge Mm -hmm, your idea. It almost seems like we've already kind of had that bounce, and it it also appears that like when you get in a situation where the Fed doesn't come to the rescue and you get through a 30% drawdown, that things can get a little messy and you start getting contagion. So I don't know if if we're there. If we are, it's happening next week or the week after.
2: Right? My, my opinion is we're, we're seeing hiring freezes happening now. I think you're going to see the Q2 earnings calls in, in July and August. They're going to have weak guidance moving forward. Potentially, there's going to be some layoffs happening at some point. I think you're going to really see a real, it's really going to get worse in my opinion. I think the economy is is definitely grinding down. It's expected to continue to further further you know slow. I disagree on the Federal Reserve. I don't think they're changing course. And I think the market's seeing that and they're going to do their 50 basis point rate hike what he said, is, and I just I took the note here when you were talking. There's a broad sense on the committee that additional 50 basis increases should be on the table for the next couple of meetings. I think they're going to do 50 and 50 again. You, you know? forgot
3: mm-hmm. the you forgot the first part of that sentence. The first 50, part of that 70, sentence,
2: 70, 75 basis no. point increase oh. is not something in oh. the committee is considering. Yeah. The,
3: the the beginning part of that sentence you just read said assuming the conditions evolve with expectations. That's what the first part of that sentence. Is assuming the assuming conditions evolve in line with expectations. Such, I'm just saying, such a good lawyer. <laughs> that, that's what it says. He, he leaves himself an out. He says, assuming conditions of all which you should read to mean that is declining inflation. You have to have that month or month change. If you don't get the month over month change, 50 bips are on the He
2: table. said also, we are not going to stop. He literally said these words, we would just go back to 25 basis point hikes. Right, well, so, that's, that's so they're not I mean. they're not stopping. But, they're not stopping is my point, right? They're okay, not reversing the question, their monetary
3: policy. The question isn't whether they're stopping. The question is if they're keeping their foot on the gas pedal. This is the first time in 20 years they did a 50 no. bit hike. No, no, no they're, the they're, first.
2: they're they're increasing. Is my point, right? They're, they're not going to stop. So as they continue to increase, which means they haven't really changed their policy, which is rate hikes. right? Well, that's But well, we're talking. We're talking past. And and, and, and the last are, point are you, is that and the last you, point is that stocks are not they're not cheap, right? So and this is the thing we I was talking about a clubhouse the other day with you, Joe. If you just look at what are we at two twenty EPS for this year's expectation, right? That's going to get downgraded, and when that happens over the summer at some point, I believe you got to look at that and you say we're we've been generally trading around what twenty times twenty times on the S and P, right? So if they get downgraded to two hundred even, and and you, and you take that two hundred and you give it a seventeen multiple, you're at thirty four hundred S and P's coming down, Nasdaq's coming down. I don't see this bounce. I think Preston's right. I think we saw the bounce. The S and P jumped up ten percent. Nasdaq went up, and it pulled back. And I think you're just going to see deteriorating conditions where it's just going to continue to sell off. That's my opinion.
1: I love the the. I'm the, 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 the yeah, I, I'm. I'm a little bit in Jay's camp, to be honest with you. I mean, I'm open to any array of, of outcomes, and it from, from my vantage point, it doesn't really all matter that much. My positioning is pretty uh, straightforward. We know the end game. I think, right? I think this is the thing knows. we all agree on. <laughs> this is, yeah, that's right. So. I don't know. I'm I'm a little concerned that you're starting to get to that like 30 percent mark where it's gonna get ugly unless the Fed comes in and says, "Oh, we're gonna reflate all this. We're gonna stuff everybody's hands with liquidity." And they don't seem to be saying any of that. They seem to be saying this this kind of needs to sell off so that we can dampen inflation They're and if taking
2: away pain, what they gave us. It's softish, right? It's softish. Well, well they're just taking a, away what they gave us in 2020, right? They gave they, it to us they, so quickly, and it, it just they're just pulling it back now.
3: I think the language he used at the press conference already showed that they were concerned about the sell-off and risk assets. They basically did. They went out of his way to appear dovish while still hiking, to Jay's point. The question is not whether they stop hiking, in my mind. The question is that they keep the foot on the gas and do multiple 50-point uh, hikes. Because right now, effectively, Fed funds is supposed to be at around 2.25 by the end of the year. And the question is, do we get there? Do they just do 25 from here on out, which would put it around two? 2% Fed funds in this economy is still a substantial drag just because of the leverage in the system. So for me, I don't think the, anything's going to stop until it gets much, much worse. But to Jeff's point, the reason I tend to favor him is because I think on this, this call here, is because I just don't think you're going to see consistent selling across the board in this market, I mean, you always see these bear market rallies in any condition. Yeah, but
2: but but it's all about what happens with the economic data as it's coming out, the jobs reports, and it, all this stuff is going to yeah, come out. It's going to be good. And also, Jay, large good companies, news. large companies announcing layoffs is going to be a problem. I, we're I in believe. this
3: we're in this perverse dynamic where bad news is good news for risk assets, and the reason for that is because if there's really bad GDP, if we get a second quarter contraction two in a row, that's a technical recession. And there's going to be at least speculation or hopium among Fed watchers that say maybe they'll stop, maybe they might put their foot on the, uh, the brake at this point. No, I really, think that really gives right. hopium to the market. I'm not saying it's, I, it's justified, but I don't know, think people want narrative. That. I don't think they'll believe that.
2: But that's here's, an opinion.
1: Here's, I mean, here's a here's a crazy, wrong. <laughs> here's a crazy stat for you guys. So the top before the COVID meltdown, okay, which was just two years ago, was we are currently today on the Nasdaq. higher than the top before COVID right now, 23% higher. Now, if I'm adjusting, and I have to do this because I got to adjust this for M2. By the way, as you're doing that,
2: we pulled back five years at the bottom there. The 35% decline was 2015 prices. So there's no reason why we can't pull back two years right now. As well, they adjust the EPS.
1: I, well, I think, in, and I think when the Fed officials are looking at that, that's how they're, they're viewing it optically, just totally in nominal terms. They're like, hey, we're still up 23%. The market can handle this coming back down, right? But in, in an M2 world, if you, if you adjust that number that I just told you, where you were up 22% and you adjust for M2, you're actually down 13% from the previous high in 2020 right now.
2: So Look at the EPS. Look at the EPS, right? If, if we're at 220 this year and, S, and this gets downgraded to, to 180 as an example, even with an 18 multiple on that, what is that? We're, we're looking at, and, and the market looks at this stuff, right? So you, you look at 180 times seven, let's say 18%, it's 3,200 S&P. Mm-hmm. That's, very, that's definitely in the cards. That is definitely a possibility. Well, I, I even think 3,000 is a possibility <laughs> are on the Dow, where- I mean, on, on the uh, S&P. I think you're describing the Fed opinion
1: really well, Jay, as far as like how they're viewing it from a number standpoint. But if I can just talk for your common everyday person who doesn't have a whole lot of money in the stock market and all that, and they're basically living paycheck to paycheck. Right now, they are experiencing severe pain in the market. Now, if you step outside the US and you look at the, the everyday citizen, Outside the US, that's dealing with dollar denominated debt like in, infested inside of their country and dealing with the DXY blowing out to like 20 year highs against every other fiat currency. Dude, it is it is, mind bending.
2: How many give far you are stretching point. things right now? Let me give you a data point. So prior to COVID, the average home equity had $48,000 in home equity, roughly $50,000. Okay. If you look at the price of the average home in 2012, it was about $260,000. Right now, the average price of a home is about $450,000. And the average home equity right now is $185,000. So they're not feeling the pain because they don't really own stocks. Most people have their wealth tied to their house. So when that starts to happen, as interest rates go up, and they are going up, and you see mortgages go from 3.5% to 7%, you're going to see a direct correlation and an inverse on the home prices going down by 30%. And that will shave off from 450 to 300 and knock out the home equity which is home equity they didn't have anyway when you really think about it. So I'm, they're feeling the pain because they look at what they did have on a number, you know, but it's they it never really had it to begin with, you know. I've got so one I don't know.
1: I've got one I want you guys to to cover here. Midterm elections coming up, right? If this market sells off hard because the Fed is acting independent and all that kind of stuff, right? And this market sells off going into that midterm election. Does Jay Powell get fired and do they bring in like some super uber
2: dovish Fed chair at that point? Like, what's what? <laughs> Joe just said to me a couple hours ago, right, Joe, that he hasn't been confirmed. I didn't even realize that. It was
1: What? Joe, what are, what are you talking about?
3: Well, Powell was re upped, right? Renominated. But okay. the, as far as I was checking, the Senate hasn't confirmed him, right? Or maybe it recently happened. They haven't. Re- they haven't voted on the confirmation.
2: And if they haven't, it's like they're they're hanging this over his head. Let
3: me, let me right? double so check. To, I think yeah. if
2: that's the case, what you said earlier today, then that is more pressure than Trump going on television saying all the shit that he says. Right? This is way more pressure. You haven't even confirmed for his job. So then, off the fire him. They just don't confirm him. So I, that's political pressure.
1: Yeah, I just can't imagine going into into the next two years what pressures that are going to be there to reflate and. Pump this thing in preparation for the the next presidential timetable and you know Congress election cycle.
2: Let me ask you, Jeff, how low do you because you had a call on on you've been right so far on the Bitcoin drop, right? So how far down do you think this can go if we see this get worse? What what do you think your bottom is? Not saying when, but if worst case scenario, what do you think it is?
0: Sure. So I've been using 25k plus or minus 10%. So 22.5 to 27.5. It could go lower, right? The 200-week moving average, I think, is about 21.5 or so. It could pierce that. It could go down. Uh, if it does pierce it, I think it's going to be a dip, a transient thing. It would be a massive buying opportunity. I would, I would be buying hand over fist at that time. So yeah, that's definitely possible. I will tell you though, but because of my views where I'm tilting, you know, slight ever so, ever so bullish right now. I've been buying hand over fist already, uh, sub 30K. So when I see the 29 handle, I saw the 28 handle. I bought more after market today. Um, Yeah, yeah. And so, because I'm not convinced it's going to go, I don't know if it will hit 25K. There's some good evidence saying that it might not. When you look at things, I mean, there's, we we can, and I don't know if we want to take the conversation this way, but different pricing models, right? And you look at things like adoption curves, Metcalf law based kind of thing, still waiting for Will Clemente. He's supposed to put out a report, I think May 16th on that. And I, I gave him a couple uh, um, or, or a person to check out. There, there's some good work that's done on this. Yurian uh, or Jurian Timmer from Fidelity has some work based on cell phone adoption. That's, I think, okay. I think it's uh, kind of underestimating the growth of Bitcoin. But when I look at that kind of thing, I think Bitcoin right now is cheap. Like it is yeah. trading along its oh, adoption yeah. line right now and it would take you know, massive market forces to get it to go lower. And it would be ugly because it's very rare for it to go lower and stay lower. It, the last time it did where it, it dipped significantly below was COVID, and then it quickly ramped back up and got back on track again. So that's how I would uh, envision it happening this
3: time around as well. Just, you, just to you, correct, Jay, okay. they, he's up for confirmation for a full vote of the Senate either tonight or tomorrow. Oh Brown. <laughs> yeah. So either tonight or tomorrow on the 11th. So I wasn't wrong on that.
4: Funds from this account are automatically deposited into partner banks, where they earn a variable interest and are eligible for FDIC insurance. Neither Public Investing nor any of its affiliates is a bank. U.S. only. Learn more at public.com/disclosures/high-yield-account. As many of you know, I love studying businesses and networking with business owners. The more I've studied businesses
0: Back to the show. Can
2: But if he gets it, maybe he gets more aggressive and doesn't have to care. I don't, that's scary.
0: <laughs> can I talk about that? And then we can come back to the adoption thing if we want to, too. Either way. I'm not into politics at all. Don't care. Don't have any horse in the game. Don't care. But I think uh, Biden and the Biden administration, they are not Trump, right? They are not stock market junkies. They are not pump it. And we are going to have the best stock market returns ever they are all about inflation and they say they're for the little guy, so they're trying to bring down inflation. I think they may, let the mar- they may continue to sacrifice the market without putting pressure on Powell. I don't think there's necessarily going to be a ramp up into the midterm elections. I do think the Democrats are going to get trounced, but I think they're going to run on the platform that, look, we actually got inflation under control. We sacrificed, we stuck together, look at us, go America.
2: We've ruined uh, your it, 401k. Yeah,
0: right. Your gas yeah. prices are lower. <laughs> yes, yeah, so you're all going to work <laughs> 10 years longer because of it. But, you know, anyways, uh, so that's what I think is probably going to happen. And I still agree with you guys that we're going to uh, get to these lower lows. I just think we're going to delay a little bit. I think we have a two month interval or so. And then it really tanks at that point. Well, and then when the you look at is. that
2: chart, I don't see a lot of support between 20 and 15, right? Like sure. that, it starts to get really hairy there. right? And to your point, it would be a quick jump down, a spike down rather, a uh, wick down. And I think there's going to be a lot of money that comes in saying, man, I missed this in a 2020 bull run up. And there's going to be retail coming in big and probably hedge funds as well.
0: So here, here are my reasons for, again, for this, and I, I started to keep harping on this, but do you know more than three people who are bullish right now? I can't think of three people I don't who think are. anyone on here <laughs> other than you. Everybody, when I talk about... So, so three months ago, when I was Dr. Bear and, ta- and going on Twitter spaces and talking about... I literally was mocked and ridiculed all the time. Like people were really you're too. stupid. You're just a doc. Trust me, a- I wear my daughter's shirt. She got me for Father's Day. Trust me, I'm a doctor. You're just a doctor. You Blah, blah, blah. You know, people hacking on me. And anyways, and not to, not to toot my horn or anything, but just like, Do you it. could see this stuff coming, right? And, and now when I talk about being bullish on Twitter spaces, the same ones, I get mocked and ridiculed. Like, that's insane. How could you possibly <laughs> think that? I don't know anybody who's bullish, right? Except
3: I'm the, the bullish, permables.
0: But- yeah, Joe. <laughs> T- Joe is David Hunter. He's always bullish. And uh, who's that other dude, Tom Lee, or whatever? Of, so, a couple of guys are still bullish, but the vast majority of people are all nodding their heads and talking about how it's going lower. When everybody is bearish, there's nobody left to short it, right? There's nobody left to sell. That's when the price starts creeping up, and nobody believes it for a while. So that's kind but, of again but, but what but I'm going
3: on. Sorry. The, the issue is the issue is as I see it is not one of pure sentiment. It's not a traditional orderly market. What we were talking about earlier, and what what I think was the key that Preston was hitting on, is you have a liquidity issue, yes. and in a liquidity crisis, you can't stop that just because sentiment gets really bad. It's right. like in a, in a, you know, it's like a snowball down a hill that turns into an avalanche. That's the problem we have right now. If you can't backstop that through liquidity, uh, resolving the issues. And by the way, guys, this is the I'll, I'll put this in the chat. You can check it out. But the Fed's own working financial stability report. Is talking about these liquidity issues in the commodities market, in the bond market, in yeah. the S and P 500. They're identifying this as a systemic risk. So I don't know. I, I think at a certain point they're going to call uncle. Whether it's you know 15 percent lower from here because they're just a little bit more hawkish than they were in 2018. That remains to be seen.
0: And one, one oh, sorry, one quick thing. Sorry, sorry, Preston. One quick thing is I'm always early. I'm notoriously early. So this may take longer. We may still go lower for longer, and I'll look stupid for a little while. Before we get this ramp up, that I'm, I'm hoping we see. Sorry, just wanted to throw that when,
1: out. when the liquidity starts drying up, it becomes very mathematical. And the reason right. it becomes really, and people, it's funny because the when you talk to anybody who's not really intimately familiar with markets, they always say, "Oh, yeah, it's the fear, it's the fear." Actually, it gets really mathematical at the end, where the promises have been so broken that everybody's just trying to cover their counterparty risk, and they have to sell to cover it.
3: So. Trustin, this is directly from the report that just came out Monday. I just got to read this one sentence for you. It says, "It says a sharp rise in interest rates could lead to higher volatility, stresses to market liquidity, and a large correction in risky assets, potentially causing losses at a range of financial intermediaries." That's the Fed. The Fed is saying that these rates are going to cause potentially a liquidity crisis if they continue.
1: And if you take that definition and you put it up to an equal sign. It will equal softish.
0: <laughs> uh, it's funny.
1: What in the world is happening in China? What in the world is happening over there? Are you guys seeing these videos and stuff that are coming out? This is crazy.
3: I've only heard a a ton of theories about this. I've probably heard a dozen things, everything from they're potentially trying to sack the supply chains and cause havoc for US consumers, and they're willing to take the pain to inflict harm on the United States and to advance Russia's cause. I've heard theories about how it's related to Xi Jinping trying to get another term for life, like become president for life and his political issues, and he's trying to stop some of his adversaries. But I agree with you, Preston. You see these videos, and knowing what we know now about COVID. It seems probably can't say that but but yeah <laughs> no, it no, seems no. wrong. Yeah. It,
1: this is so from so I have grandparents they're both in the in their 90s. They got covid 2 weeks ago. They're perfectly fine now. They pushed straight through it and they fully recovered. The covid that we've got right now has mutated to a point that is drastic. I got covid when it first happened and let me tell you I was down hard. Like really hard. I did an interview with Jack Maulers. It was funny. Jack had it like two weeks before I got it, and uh, I was like doing that interview. I distinctly remember this. I didn't even know what my next question was. Like I was out of it, and so this thing is mutated. It's completely different. And I'm looking at these videos from China, and I'm saying, oh my god, they're locking down cities that are three times the size of New York City. Like literally welding people into their into their apartments. People aren't allowed to go to work. You're watching the ships build up in the ports. It's uh, Beijing and Shanghai. Who knows what else, right? Like, there is nothing normal that's happening over there right now. And I've heard the arguments of, oh, well, they're strategically doing it to disrupt supply chains and blow up the dollar. There's that argument. I've heard arguments that it's actually a political rift between Beijing and Shanghai that's kind of playing out in relation to Xi Jinping. I've heard that it's a resourcing constraint or they don't have enough water, they don't have enough food and because everything was so centrally planned, the cities and everything was so centrally planned that it didn't materialize in like the whole social order and construct of, of how things function over there from a resourcing standpoint was completely centrally planned. And so now it's, it's completely coming unglued. As you're getting pressures in the broader markets. There's people talking about there being an invasion this fall, and that maybe some of it has to do with that or in preparation or making social issues abroad greater by causing these dynamics. I don't know what it is, right? is. I've heard a lot of different theories, but I can tell you this, something is really wrong over there right now, like scary.
0: If I can chime in, I think all of those theories are giving them too much credit. I think it's stupid healthcare policy. I think it's people, centrally controlled government, who thinks they can eradicate an endemic virus that's highly contagious by doing lockdowns. And that's just not how highly contagious virus, viruses work. You have, to, you have to play the game, you have to take your medicine, you have to let it run its course you can help reduce it with vaccinations if you want to and we don't have to get into all that stuff but they tried and they sort of eradicated it initially and then it comes back because it's highly contagious and i just think it's stupid policy and now it and now the rest of the world has gone through our covid time and like to your point Preston, like now it's it's very tolerable you know most of us have some significant immune response to covid and we don't really have to worry about it anymore. That's what happens. These things take, they, they go through their course. China hasn't taken their medicine yet. And now they're now it's coming back to hurt them. And so that's, that's all I think is going yes, on.
2: Yeah. Let me, let me ask you a question. My cousin lives down in Maryland and he posted a photo of himself with a surgical mask because he went in without a mask and they said, you have to wear this. And a doctor said, that doesn't do anything, right? Like, it's like, what is the point of the surgical mask in in the doctor's office? Like, they're all making them wear these now when they go in.
0: Yeah, I don't know if we really want to go down this route, but I'm uh, just curious. Isn't it, uh, <laughs> isn't it supposed to be an N five? Isn't it supposed to be N
2: ninety five? I mean, I just. <laughs> It the, seems the, like that, it's like virtue signaling or something's happening here and it's not. Most
0: of it. So, yeah. And I, I, man, I can't believe we're going to do this, but so, 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 <laughs> no, no, so no, no, no.
1: don't, don't answer. We don't need, we don't need to hear this in the comments. I don't even want to okay, hear it okay. in my comments. Good, good. But, okay. But, Save me. Uh, Just curious. Like, <laughs> but think, you're a
0: doctor. I don't know. <laughs> I think
2: everybody
1: can tell by our facial expressions what we think.
0: Yes. Um, <laughs> that's my theory about China. Though. I,
1: I think that your simplicity of this is signal. For me, at least. I think you're right. Maybe it's just pure stupidity and just like, I mean, think about this culture over there. They have social credit scores tied to their phones, and if they complain about the policy being too whatever, like all of a sudden now they can't go out and get a loan on on a house or something, right? Or they can't be seen at the better clinic or they can't be whatever. And so who's going to speak up in an environment? where you're penalized by saying anything negative as to whatever existing policies exist.
3: like. But that, that argument, you, that are, go, ahead, go ahead, Jeff.
0: I'm just saying, think about how it was even here in a free country like America. You say something anti what the government protocol is, you yeah. get destroyed he, and you he, get canceled. He, he,
2: you can't now, even imagine- give an opinion about a mask on I'm the press. Right,
0: show. right. right. Now, now imagine <laughs> living in China, where the government, like literally, will threaten you and put you in jail, possibly, you know, and cancel your social credit score because you said something That's opposed great. to them. So, who's going to say anything against it? You know. Anyways, sorry, Joe, <laughs> I interrupted you. Yes. No, I, I just think the
3: the art. I agree with what you're, you you've all said. The thing is, though. Uh, China is all about control, from controlling the internet to, to banning Bitcoin miners, to banning access to all sorts of different things we take for granted in the United States. So to me, there is an agenda behind it. It can't be just merely ignorance on the part of healthcare policy. There has to be something they're concerned about free people doing. And so I don't I don't buy the whole just ignorant, poor medical policy. They may They may have a role in it to some degree, but there's something in particular or a variety of things they're concerned about.
0: I would humbly submit, Joe, that we had massive amounts of ignorance at our leadership level for our policies related to COVID. And we suffered for it, and some of it was okay, and some of it was good, and lots of it was terrible. And we shouldn't get into this anymore. But I just, I just think you might be giving their leadership too much credit. Personally, I think it's, it's really. This, yeah,
2: this is going to be shadow ban on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs>
0: no, sorry. Well, no,
1: I just want to keep it focused on the finance and the markets. And yeah. Jeff does not need that type of action in his comments <laughs> section. Let me promise you, <laughs> he gets a lot of heat. It's all good. There, he there, knows how to take it. <laughs> he does take a lot. I can of heat.
0: take it. Yep.
1: He, he likes the heat kind of do Joe <laughs> <laughs> Joe the regulations coming out of the Luna situation what does, what is this going to do
3: well the regulation was already coming right it was gonna it was coming they had they already had the executive order earlier in the year they're studying the stablecoin market they're talking about creating it if you read that that financial stability report to the Fed has made clear again that they're waiting on a directive from either the executive or Congress before they implement a CBdc and again, check it out. It's, I just uh, put it in the comments You, It's pretty fascinating. They have a whole couple of pages on the CBDC and the efforts and the benefits and what, what it would look like and how it would involve the banks. It's a pretty detailed breakdown of the Fed's view. Um, but to your point, though, I think this is always coming. What this gives is a rhetorical talking point to hammer home look at this stablecoin, look at all this wild, wild west activity going on in crypto. We need to come in and we need to deal with it. That's really powerful, right? Because it's much harder to drum up support. If you don't have a blow up, if you have a blow up, you can easily go into every legislator's office and say, guys, we got to act now. There's consumers at risk. There's people that have lost their life savings. I've seen, you know, there there are some tweets out there today about fairly prominent lawyers in the space and and people that I know personally. They lost a ton of money on this. They lost their life savings. Really? And you can go, yeah, yeah, just awful. I mean, people were putting a ton of money into this, this token. They thought it was foolproof. There were entire companies. Some of which, you know, had had reached out to me asking for advice and support in, in my in my job, my day job, uh, that literally built platforms based off staking tokens and getting fifteen percent APY. Just a total mess. And you know, in full disclosure, I, I told a lot of these folks that this doesn't make sense. This is a house of cards. You're building on sand. And once there's a run in the bank, we all know what happens next. Particularly if you ha- can't don't have somebody coming in to do open market operations. The whole reason that this, you know, the thing is uh, the the Ponzi of of the Fed exists is because they can always come in and intervene and always inject liquidity, right? That's not happening in these stablecoin protocols. Somebody gets left holding the bag.
1: How can anybody think that you can collect a fifteen percent yield on something that yeah not tied to anything? Like like if you're going to have a token and the token's tied to some protocol or application that has a billion users, right? Like Sure, maybe maybe there can be some type of utility there. But even then, like how are you pumping out a yield if you're not harvesting actual earnings from a from an equity-based business? Right? Like these these tokens are nothing. They are literally nothing. They are a they're a piece of software that says that there's 10 million coins. Like But Preston, you know, you
3: know how, how attractive this is, right? How many times do we sit and talk with Bitcoiners and they always ask the question? should I put my Bitcoin on this exchange? And should I get that yield? That's really attractive to people. And I think they, they're they now finding out when you give up your keys, when you give them your Bitcoin to somebody else, you're compromising the best asset in the world. You're letting people for five bips or whatever, and they end up paying. I mean, it's a joke. And the, people are going to have to learn this lesson again and again and again until they get it. How about the ETH staking?
1: So like If we go back to whenever they rolled out this idea of ETH2 and that you could stake ETH, I forget how many you have to stake. What is it? Like 25 ETH to stake it, right? And so, of course, most people that are buying this, this stuff don't have that much, So then they have to go through the exchange, which totally centralizes the clearing mechanism for a proof of stake system in, in a long enough time frame. But you pull back the clock, I think we're in are we in 2019 or 2020 when this became an option to start staking ETH for quote unquote ETH2 that still has not rolled out, right? So now you got all these people and, and those numbers of these people staking this stuff just keeps going up. I forget what the number is, but I mean you're talking billions that has been staked and they can't, get, they can't get anything out, but yet they're collecting yield, which is just the ETH protocol, the basing itself on ETH1, I suspect, I think, I don't know. It's so convoluted and confusing as to what the heck they're actually doing here. So when I'm looking at the ETH volume and things like that, you would think the, the volume's going down if these people keep staking their ETH into this ETH2 and they can't withdraw. They can't pull it out even if they want to. And so- Coinbase and other exchanges that are offering these services are complicit with this scheme. It's a scheme. Like, what the heck is going on? And now I don't even think are they even doing. It? And I'm not an expert on this stuff. So you, you know, people listening to this, if you got Ethan, you think I'm crazy. Feel free to think I'm crazy because I have. <laughs> I don't dig into this stuff. I I find the whole thing to be very Ponzi-like. But like the timeline, when are they rolling this thing out? Are they going to roll this thing out? It doesn't seem like they can get off of a proof of work protocol and move to a proof of stake protocol without there being like severe, like intense engineering gymnastics of 10 things you can't even pronounce the name of it. And they keep changing the name of that. Like it just seems like it's so similar to all this Luna, like disaster framework architecture of just noise, engineering software noise that you can't even wrap your head around. So I don't I mean I'm just kind of curious what you guys think of some of this and I guess where I'm looking at you Joe is like are these are the exchanges complicit in this staking of these clown coins and and I know I'm going to upset people when I say that about eth because everybody there's there's a there's a massive community around that. I don't own it. I I just I don't understand it. I don't understand how people can't see the lack of sound engineering in this stuff.
3: So I'll I'll start. So from my perspective, I think you have to get everybody in Bitcoin has to get into their heads that the SEC's regulation by enforcement is purposely designed to be slow and inefficient. They're going to go after the biggest fish. It's going to be very long and painful before they get results. And with respect to the exchanges, in many cases, they've taken a hands-off approaches for exchanges. So to your point, are they complicit? Most of the time, like we're seeing right now with Luna, and as I alluded to earlier. It's going to take something to go really wrong before you start getting civil lawsuits filed against them. When people start saying, "I had my life savings in this, it blew up. You're responsible because I can find you, I know where to serve you. I can sue you and, you know, have legal process in court." That's the way this goes down. So, when these things actually blow up or if, rather, they blow up, at that point, that's when you're going to get civil suits that are going to actually force mm. these people to change. Mm. To your to your point though, I mean, look, You've had these tokens listed and Gensler has come out publicly and he said, I look at these exchanges, I see tons and tons of unregistered securities. The vast majority of these things are unregistered securities. Well, guess what we're seeing now? We're seeing not one, not two, but three separate class actions that have been filed against Coinbase for aiding and embedding the sale of unregistered securities. They're pending in the civil format where people can bring these things on their own without waiting on the SEC or any other enforcement agency. So I think that's going to come. I think you're going to see a ton of litigation against these entities coming forward. And it remains to be seen if they can advance it. But if you get one of these things to go forward and a judge to say, yes, a private investor or a private actor can sue Coinbase and advance these claims against an exchange, man, you're going to open up a plethora of litigation from the plaintiff's bar. And keep in mind, one of the things Congress loves to do, they love to give the ability for private rights of action. They can easily put forward a bill in Congress that empowers and gives attorneys fees and they do this consistently with medical malpractice and all different types of litigation that gets filed. They give them the power to bring private suits to because they don't have the enforcement capacity. They don't have the attorneys. Mm-hmm. It's just too broad of a market. Yeah.
1: And so yeah, I guess what I'm looking at is like if you let's say the price of ETH, when I think it has, it's gone down 50% or whatever, and you can't withdraw. You've deposited into this thing that they're acting as your representative for. That you're supposedly collecting yield, and you'll get it whenever they decide that it's it's done, and you're in this do loop of you can't even withdraw to get rid of it. I mean, it's all new tech. Like all this stuff is happening. There's no framework for for what's what because none of this has ever been done before.
3: The most unfortunate thing is that you've got all this junk out there, right? Yes. And again, it's tied up in Bitcoin. We're, we're associated, we're lumped in, which I've heard Jeff say this, and I totally agree with it. Bitcoin is totally different from all this other crap. Yeah. Um, it really is. And the problem is it's all crypto. It's all blockchain. It's all buzzwords that people lump together. And we get caught up in this you know, regulatory drive to do something about this wild, wild west market. When it's really unfortunate that we have nothing to do with it. We're kind of, you know, only related loosely.
1: The transaction fees today were $100 for an ETH transaction. $100. It's insane. <laughs> That's insane. <laughs> Who's buying this?
0: Hey, let me segue here, Joe, because I'm glad you're here. And Nick dude on um, uh, Twitter asked this question before we got on. It's, he, his name is Small State Hoddle. So shout out to him. He said, he'd like to know, and I'd say from Joe, what the ramifications of the SEC claiming alts as securities would be. This is what you're talking about. But do you think there's a point where litigation will go from beyond exchanges and actually to individual alts? Will they come after the founders of, the founders of you know, pick a thing, Luna, Cardano, yeah, how, yeah, whatever? How would
3: that go
1: down? How would that go down?
0: Do you down? think that could yeah. happen?
3: Yeah, So this is the biggest misconception. I think people think that one day Gensler can stand up in his office and say, I declare these 100 tokens to be unregistered securities. That's not how it works. He has to bring a civil suit. right? He has to make a claim that an entity or a person engaged in the sale of an unregistered security. They violated the act, basically, the Securities and Exchange Act. So from that standpoint, they have to be selective because they only have so many attorneys to bring these claims. And what we know from SEC versus Ripple, which is dragging on and on. We won't get even a, a motion for summary judgment to be briefed until later this year, and then we won't get a ruling until 2023, that they have limited capacity. They're overworked. So to the point, Jeff, I think what you ha- what you will see is you will see increasing enforcement. They've telegraphed this extensively, but it's going to be one-off case filed. Here's another case filed. Here's another case filed against individual actors. And it becomes really problematic when the entities that are creating these things and the individuals who are you know, promoting these tokens are outside the United States. So to me, that exposes a lot of liability on the exchanges, because if the exchanges are aiding and abetting the sale of these things, that is a problem. That's where your legal liability is. Gensler will never, he will come to the conclusion eventually that you will never get your arms around this market unless you stop the choke points of the exchange. And then the other problem is, well, now you've got these decentralized protocols, Right. And are they quote unquote decentralized or are there actual actors behind them you can haul into court? If there are actors you can haul into court, they're not decentralized. And that's how he goes after those markets. Mm -hmm. Thanks.
1: What's your thoughts on the ripple
3: outcome? At this point, I don't see anything that takes us outside the context of a simple investment contract case. I think it is clearly a sale of an unregistered security. I'm going to get hacked now, once again, because I've said this publicly, and the Ripple army comes after me every time. I don't care. That's my view of the law. You can prove to me wrong. I think they, uh, you know when the judge comes down and says I was wrong, the good, the good news for us is that, well, I guess, depending on your perspective, uh, the, the unfortunate news, put it this way, is that no matter what comes down, if the judge rules, finding it's a security, or it finds that it's not, either the SEC or Ripple Labs is going to appeal it. So you get a decision next year, unless there's a settlement, if you get a decision, it's going to go up to the Second Circuit. In the Second Circuit, the next court's going to review it, and they're going to decide on it. The most interesting thing, though, in that case, anybody following it, is this fair notice defense, which today has been allowed to stand. It's still moving forward to motion for summary judgment. This is a constitutional defense. And basically, it argues the regulatory environment was too uncertain. It was too unclear for us to enforce anything. Therefore, you can't hold us liable. It violates due process. If that argument is allowed to stand and be advanced, every altcoin out there will cling to that argument. They're going to say it was too confusing for us to comply with the law, even though we had lawyers telling us how to comply with the law. They're going to latch onto that, and that's going to really handicap the SEC. So uh, my hope as a Bitcoiner is that that defense is rejected, that you'd follow the traditional Howey test and the traditional securities laws and you don't create a special carve out for quote unquote crypto.
1: Now would the SEC try to get that case dropped into a certain jurisdiction of a judge that would rule on that? How would what would be their play to try to get the the angle that they would want? Can that can something like that even well,
3: happen? No, no, it's already in front of a judge. I mean we already have Judge Torres, she's ruling on it, she's gonna rule on the motion for summary judgment. What's her change uh, to- uh, on
1: on being a, a liberal view of that or a ultra conservative view of
3: it? I don't think she's had an issue that's close enough on point to really make that assessment. She's a good judge. She follows the law. I've read some good opinions from her just in my limited research. But again, her ruling is not the final say. You're going to go up to the next level, the federal court yeah. system, the yeah. federal court of appeals. So their opinion in many ways is probably going to be more, uh, more important. But there's also the potential that they settle it, right? There's always this thing that... Uh, uh, you know, you get later in the litigation, people say that's enough. We've had enough. So, how, you don't want to risk a bad SEC, ruling.
1: What would the SEC want from a settlement out of that? Like, what would that look like?
3: Disgorgement, a fine, can't list it anymore. Can't, which you uh, kept pardon. saying
2: on Clubhouse that this is more likely than not, which is encouraging all the coin to continue and perpetuate, right?
3: Yeah. I mean, the if, if there's. If there's a settlement, then all this stuff... I mean, this is the big thing. I think that folks that aren't living day-to-day in, in the legal system, they don't realize that a lot, of, the vast majority of lawsuits end in a settlement, right? This is not a criminal action. Nobody's going to go to jail for this. Even if yeah. it's found to be a security, it's generally disgorgement and some penalties and maybe some other agreements that have to be uh, fulfilled in the order. But ultimately, it's not going to be somebody's liberty taken away and thrown into court. That's not what, what, what the SEC does.
2: They wow. just bankrupted it or something. If they deb- if they have no money D- to disgorgement. pay. Yeah, yeah,
3: they they get their money back, but that's- but again, you know, if if it's anything that's short of a full loss of all profits, you know, that's a lot of people look at it like a speeding ticket, right? You know, they had to. I mean, look at look at BlockFi, right? Look at the settlement they paid. I think it was a hundred million,
2: right. right? Was that the New Jersey one?
3: Yeah, yeah, it's a hundred million, and it's they strong, can yeah. you know, they can still offer their yield product. That's a, that's a speeding ticket.
1: How about the uh, and Joe? Sorry for so many legal questions, but uh, this is <laughs> this is. You got him. Go get them. <laughs> uh, the spot ETF. You, uh, you and I were talking on Twitter a couple of weeks ago, and you provided some really awesome insights as to where you thought this was at. Uh, help everybody understand your your vantage point on this one.
3: Yeah. So um, a couple developments first on that. I am told through some pretty reliable actors, and I think it was publicly shared as well that folks from grayscale did meet with uh, officials from the SEC. So that's positive. You want them to strike up a dialogue. Hopefully they pivot and change their stance. But the, the confusing thing for me in the financial reporting on this has always been well we can't figure out why they're not approving the spot ETF. That they're, you know, people say it's being held hos- hostage or you know, uh, Gensler's you know, concerned about bitcoin growing and the price appreciating. I think that's wrong because they've been extremely clear what they want to see to approve a spot ETF they want basically two things. Number one, they want market of sufficient size and liquidity that is based in the United States that has some access for US regulators to see, is there real trading going on? Is there real spoofing? To to the extent that if there is quote unquote market manipulation, it's not going to be enough to move the major spot price. That's their main thing. The other alternative that they cite in the orders is that they want exchanges to have a universal shared surveillance agreement, which basically means that any regulator is going to have full access to their books and records. So you can kind of see what they're looking at. They're looking at some US exchange that has the majority of the volume, being able to uh, peek into that market and know there's no funny business going on. The problem for the Bitcoin market, as I think everybody on the call knows, is that most of the major leverage exchange is all overseas. It's outside the jurisdiction and purview of the United States. So that's a black box. And when the, when the SEC is looking at it, they're saying, listen, we, we don't know if this underlying market is, has integrity, if, it, if it's something that isn't just being manipulated by these offshore exchanges. So to me, hearing that in the, reading that in the order, if you're seeing them say repeatedly, we want surveillance sharing agreements, we want a market of sufficient size in the United States, unless something changes structurally with the market, you're not going to get them to just wake up one day and say, that's it, green light, we're going to make a move forward. It's possible, but usually, regulators get stuck into their precedent. They get stuck into their position and their firm. And absent of political political pressure or some rule change or a law or, or Congress saying you have to approve this, you don't just see a random pivot on a Tuesday.
2: Well, what about like the gold and the silver markets? Like, isn't there the same concern there? And why, how is that approved? How does it have an ETF for those?
3: Yeah. So you they're answered. Yeah. Their answer to that is that the majority of the marketplaces, the majority of the exchanges and liquidity is in the domestic markets. It's done by the CME. And you can't accuse the CME of any market manipulation because they have a surveillance sharing agreement. The SEC, or in the in the case of the CME with gold, uh, they have the, the, uh, the CFTC. They can come in, they can look at those commodity markets and the CFTC can say, yeah, there's nothing funny going on here. We trust this market. So if you go back, why did they approve the futures ETF? I don't believe it was to manipulate the price of Bitcoin. Others may disagree with me. It's fair enough. They approved it because they couldn't legitimately claim with a straight face that the CME futures were being manipulated internally, that there was spoofing going on in the futures market, that there was something irregular in their order books. They can't claim that cuz the CME has pretty much a world-class reputation and status.
1: This was the last question I think we're going to cover here. And I think this one's fun how to explain to your significant other that the magic internet money will go up after <laughs> after the last couple of days for my parents
0: <laughs> I'll, I'll take that one to start because yeah, i've been married i've I'm, we're going on 23 years of marriage here i got my wife to read the bitcoin standard and she, so she understands what money is. She understands why Bitcoin is better money. She doesn't care about the price. She trusts trust me to, you know, to buy it at, at reasonable times when it's cheap. And she's she's totally orange peeled. In fact, um, one of the coolest things that happened, and I'll we'll digress for slightly for just a second here. Our mailman came by who sees, you know, I work from home, so he sees things coming for VeilShare vale for my financial business, and he was asking about using me as an advisor. And my wife said, "Oh, you don't need Jeff." All you need to do is start buying Bitcoin, and she's trying to orange peel the mailman. He's like, "Really? Just Bitcoin?" So that was like my proudest moment as a husband. Like my wife was trying to orange peel the mailman. That was fantastic. (laughs) So, anyways, that's no problem for me here in the Ross household. So, really, it's education. Your answer is
2: education, right? Education, Jay. There you go. I was going to say the same. Really, I point them to VJ's uh, Medium post. If you read that, I think you get a real understanding of Bitcoin. Think from there, you know, you, you can understand how the how the value goes up over time just by reading that come on, Joe.
3: Yeah. My, my view is this, um, and it's actually, we're in the perfect environment for it right now. I don't like ever trying to talk to people about Bitcoin in a, in a bumper slogan or some short little pithy statement. I think you need to have a conversation with them. It needs to just get down to you know some of the core fundamentals about what's going on right now. And if you look at financial markets right now, and I think this is the biggest selling point for Bitcoin, everything we've been talking about on this show, they're completely broken. You have the Fed setting expectations of hiking, and everything is selling off. You have bonds selling off, you have equity selling off, that system is not sustainable. So the question only becomes, what are we moving towards next? And to me, it's an easy call. It's Bitcoin, because there's nothing out there. You know, uh, Our good friend, Bitcoin Tina, there is no alternative. I, I don't really see an alternative in the system that's out there. I don't believe the world returns to a gold standard. I don't believe we return to Zoltan Poser's financial commodity-backed uh, currency. I don't think that's coming. I think you have this pristine, perfect asset born into the internet that is unlike anything we've seen in history. It has all these unique characteristics that literally you have to create new words like unconfiscatable to describe them. And in that paradigm, I think Bitcoin wins. It's just a question of when. Um, you, you can't focus on the day-to-day. I know it stinks to buy Bitcoin at $60,000 and have it evaporate down to twenty eight or whatever it's trying What I was at. about to
2: say is you're, you're saying this, because I was just talking to my father, my, my son's birthday. My son turned three today, right? So we had a little birthday before he came down here. And he's telling me, he's like, you know, the store value argument that you've been telling me about for years and, you know, this this inflation against, you know, sorry, this hedge against inflation. He goes, what kind of hedge are we talking about? We're down 50% from 60-some thousand. So it loses that argument when you talk about those types of fundamentals and how it is kind of the, it's really difficult conversation to have, which is why I point them back to the article, because you got to look at the things you're talking about, the unconfiscatability. I talk, I call it the disc test which is is it decentralized is it immutable is it scarce and is it censorship resistant and there's really only one one thing that is and that is bitcoin people
1: don't understand how powerful the dollar is and how it's how it's so powerful that it's a wrecking ball for anything that comes in its path you know and and I don't know how I don't know how you can distill some of those ideas into the stuff that you guys are saying into yeah. something that people can understand Without doing just an intense amount of hours and hours of research to wrap their head around all the variables,
3: you you can't. Just like you couldn't, if you're talking to somebody in 1991, you couldn't explain the potential of the internet. It's the same thing. Yeah, you 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 know you can use analogies, you can struggle to explain it, but ultimately, unless they really do the deep dive themselves, they're not going to get it. But uh, everybody listening to this podcast has the ability to do that deep dive, and where wherever you're at in your Bitcoin journey. I can tell you, um, we might not be at the bottom, but this is a pretty darn good time to start buying Bitcoin, I think. Yeah.
2: The internet was different because you could use the internet and you can feel how it made you feel using the internet in the nineties. You can say, wow, I definitely could see how everybody, everybody else would be sucked. Let's, for instance, AOL chat rooms in the nineties, right? If you started to use that and you fell into the chat rooms or IRC before that, you can see the addiction of it, right? Technology. Give a two year old an iPad. You could see, right? There's an addiction, literally. Jay, have you, have, you ever, levels.
3: have you shown a newbie how to send a Bitcoin transaction? Redundant. Yeah, but
2: they but they but they they conflate that with I could do that with PayPal. They don't understand. They think that it's the same thing. We we already have digital money in their mind, right? So I think we have to really understand is the value that it really has. It's unbreakable, right? That's the thing that to me makes the most sense. And then the argument that it's basically a digital gold, right? Except the difference is you can't take a billion dollars of gold and move it, right? So from that perspective, large institutions, sovereign nations. They're gonna want to hold on to digital gold versus actual gold, right? And in my opinion, yeah, it's a better gold.
0: One one last thing, I like to tell people. Sorry, real quick, is just sometimes the dollar strengthens in the short term, but over the long run, it's guaranteed to depreciate. It just does historically. Sometimes Bitcoin weakens in the short in the short term, but it's just mathematically and physically programmed to appreciate in value over time. And so you got to just not put too much faith or stock into short term price movements. I get hit all the time with, well, what kind of you know, inflation hedge is Bitcoin if it's down 50%? Like back up, look at five years. I just showed a guy the graph of this yesterday. For, or if you look back five years, even with this huge drawdown we've just had, it's still up over 1,000%. Like, come on. Yeah, I guess it's such a silly argument to talk about that. Short term price movements are meaningless, they're emotional. You know right. the weighing machine is the long term price movements, and that's where you need to make your judgments from.
2: Hundred percent, and and one way I got my father to really catch this is that he built his house. My dad's carpenter, so he built the home for forty thousand dollars in nineteen eighty five. Hmm. That house today is like four or five hundred thousand dollars. I said, if you would have left that in cash, what are you buying for fifty thousand dollars today? Right? Hmm. You can't even buy a piece of property like land. So hmm. you, you understand that the dollar just loses hundred percent of its value over hundred years, basically ninety nine point nine percent of the value if you look yep. at all the asset prices. And when people start to see that and then to your point Jeff, you zoom out on the chart for Bitcoin, everybody always focuses on on this myopic like what happened in the last 6 months, 1 year, 2 years. You got to like zoom out, right? And to your point again, I would say it's the Warren Buffett voting machine in the short term, weighing machine in the long
0: term. Absolutely.
1: And for those periods that you're talking about, Jeff, where the dollar is strengthening. It's strengthening against everything else. Everything else is going down relative to the dollar during those periods. And those periods don't typically last too long. I mean, if we go back and we historically look at how long the dollar just goes through these these uh, aggressive tightening periods where credit's blowing up, and that's why it's it's strengthening and everybody's running to it. It's typically about twelve months. I'd say twenty four months at the longest period of time. I think if you went back to the Great Depression, like that that was the longest that you let that you saw a sell off, which was from twenty. Or uh, 1919 to I think 21 was probably, or I'm sorry, 31 was was where it really kind of uh, hit a bottom. So, like these periods where the dollar will strengthen, you know, and, and I think recently they they've actually been a little bit tighter and faster, where they haven't been really tightening for more than a year. So,
3: and again, it's 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 strengthening versus FX versus foreign exchanges, right. right? It's it's not strengthening versus you know going to buy gasoline. So that, yes. that's a big distinction. It's a good yeah. point.
2: All
1: right. Well, um, I don't have anything else unless you guys had any other topics you wanted to uh, hit up. Uh, let's go back around the horn in the opposite order. Let's start with Jay. Jay, give people a handoff where they can learn more about you. And
2: yep, yeah, Just find me on Twitter um, or any other platforms. My username is my name, J-A-Y-G-O-U-L-D. And we'll have links for this as well. Uh, go ahead, Joe.
3: Yeah, same here. You find me on Twitter. I'm there pretty often. It's at Joe Carlasari. And next time, Preston, give me the memo that I need to wear a hat uh, because feel <laughs> out of everybody and all your hats on this. I feel uh, uh, like I missed—I missed the dress code.
0: <laughs> i a long hair now. <laughs> Jeff. Uh, yeah, so I am on Twitter way too much. My handle is at Vailshire Cap V A I L S H I R E Cap. And then, if you want to learn more about Vailshire, the investment stuff that I do, I obviously manage money really differently than most investment advisors and financial planners. So, if you want to check that out, you can shoot me an email. Info at com, or just go to my website, veilshire.com. And uh, thanks for having us on today, Preston. It was awesome.
1: I love this. I really look forward to this mix because I know you guys are just going to be open, candid, just whatever flies. And uh, we're all vulnerable in our ideas and comfortable here and counter opinions. So I just love this mix. And I'm sure we'll do it in another quarter or whatever. So looking forward to the <laughs> one, next one. One more
2: thing yeah. Joe owes me, me a happy meal. <laughs> we bet three times yeah it was me three dollars dollar bet and i'm gonna bet you here jeff i'm gonna bet you a yeah. dollar that we're not hitting all-time highs
3: well i don't want to take that <laughs> I'm not because to jay, out of jay jay where, where where do we get can we get really quick because then we're wrapping up but tell us where, where do the equities go from here where do you think in the next two months
1: in the next two months let's hear it jay next two oh, months good. let's oh, hear oh man
0: <laughs> so we're talking uh S- july 11th mid-july yeah. okay yeah.
1: Oh, boy. Don't ever
3: sign up. Rapid for this one, fire. Jay. Just, don't just ever. do S&P 500. July from
0: here, I think we're S&P lower. s
3: 500. I think we're lower okay.
2: In, okay. In, by July, August. Because I think that's when earnings calls come out. We have weak guidance, as I was saying earlier. I think that's not a good sign in July.
0: Jeff? I think we're higher. And I'm going to say, I'm going to give it, uh, I'll, I'll say 4,600.
3: I'm going to go 4,400. Okay. Preston? Right? I don't know. I try. No,
2: higher I or lower know. than four thousand? No, higher than lower than four thousand. Here's why. It's like I, an over
1: under. Here's why I don't know. Because it's not dependent on, in my opinion, it's not dependent on any actual fundamentals that I can look at right now. It's dependent on like five people in a room changing course <laughs> on whatever they think uh, is is enough is enough. And so, and I'm
2: betting that's not happening.
1: That's, and I'm is, telling
0: you, but this is not going to happen either. But it doesn't matter. But this is but this is another reason why <laughs> I, a
1: rally. <laughs> this is another reason why I don't sell Bitcoin. I just buy it. Is because yeah. by the time I try to do the math on, all right, I think the market's going to go lower. I think Bitcoin's going to go with it. So I'm going to sell here, and then I'm going to have these massive realized gains that I've got to pay, and then. I'm going to try to insert it at where I think the sell-off is going to be. Meanwhile, you have some Fed official that comes out and just completely changes course and, and becomes super dovish and eases into this thing. I don't know where they're and what metric they're going to use, especially right now, because before, and I think what's so different, and here we are just you know, continuing the conversation, but um, <laughs> before we didn't have inflation. It was like inflation was a mythical creature. Right like a unicorn that that didn't exist and nobody believed it was ever going to come back. And right now, for the first time since 2008, it's back. And not only is it back, but it's like literally like god it's it's unicorn horn like pointed in the person's heart of the of these central banks and like like what what are they going to do like they're in a completely so, so, uh, different situation than where they were before where the market would sell off 30% they still had no inflation and then they would they would ease into it again right so like i don't know what they're
2: going to do they have two mandates right they say dual mandate full employment and and inflation they, their target is 2% and there was for years as you know it was lower than 2% right at least how they, how they reported on cpi and i think they would like to see inflation run this is why they started to raise the rates and what they're doing with their policy it's gone a little bit too much as we know, right So they're pushing the rates they're pushing a little bit further to try to pull that back. So I think that what's going to be the catalyst for them to change their policy is the employment, right So what are the two mandates? It's inflation, it's employment. So if they start to see that there's layoffs in the market or you see a crash that infers that there may be some layoffs in the market for employment, I think that's that's where you start to see them reverse their monetary policy earlier than than we would otherwise see just based off of the rates itself and the math, right? It could happen sooner based off of what the market conditions are. So in the S&P, it's like a 30, 35% decline. If that happens quickly, they have to respond, in my opinion. But if it, this is why I'm a little worried about the 25 basis point, the 25-bit uh, hikes, because it may not rapidly sell off. If they do this 50 into 50, it could rapidly sell off and there could be reversal. But that's I, just I guess
1: that's where I'm a little hesitant. Like For me, it's a coin toss, whether it's higher or lower right now, because I, I do think that we're going to have things get really messy here in the coming like two, two months, like really messy. And if that's true, they might have to step in and, and, yeah. and reverse course. So I just don't know the timing of that. I just, I kind of feel like this is, this is getting very unorderly real fast. You got to make a call
2: higher or lower.
1: <laughs> it's a total <laughs> coin toss. I, I could go either way. So, so with that, you you tell me, am I am I up or am I down? Because either way, like I I don't know which one it's going to be at this point, if, be, just because of where we're at. If this was our last recording, I was pretty bearish last last recording, and it's easy for me to say that now.
2: <laughs> no, you said it last time,
1: <laughs> but um. Yeah, I thought that there was a whole lot more selling to to go because I was looking at the disparity. I didn't think that the inflation was going to go away. The market was only down like uh uh I don't know, 10-15% when we talked last, and now we're approaching 30%. So, I think things can get pretty nasty, and I think that they could come in and reverse course. So,
2: I don't know. I just don't know. Wait, what's I mean, 30%? What you're saying on the, what, on, the what? on the
1: Nasdaq? On the Nasdaq close to okay. being 30% down from the high right now.
2: But see the see the SP is what I think the gauge is because that's the broader market. And so we've already seen the pain in the NASDAQ. I think you're gonna start to see the pain in like kind of the value stocks and the small caps and mid caps. I don't that's think what they Inex, care I don't anywhere near the, uh about I don't
3: think the, they. the they care about the bond market. That's the right. bond no, no, market. No, they will care lead them about to move. that because credit that is a leading
2: it's a leading indicator for employment, which is their second mandate. So I think it credit, from that
3: credit conditions are even more of a leading indicator, and, and credit conditions froze in twenty eighteen. Uh, so that, I know that's if, that's what
1: if, 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 Larry, if Larry Lippard and Greg uh, Foss were here, they would be throwing up in their mouths hearing us talk about equity markets. <laughs> they would be literally throwing up in their mouths and saying, You amateurs, stop talking about the equity market.
2: He said we couldn't get to these 10 year rates. So Greg, Greg's wrong. <laughs> he said, There's no way. There's no way. And we're there.
0: Can I make one final point that I think I is good? And I'll stop talking. <laughs> This just, just because it kind of uh, piggybacked on what Preston said, and I want to leave people with this, at least from my perspective. People get fascinated with the idea of catching the bottom, especially in something as, as as awesome as Bitcoin. And everybody wants to know what the bottom price is. And everybody wants to be that guy that said, I bought it at X price when it hit the bottom, and then it rebounded up and look at how rich I am now. I want to let people know that the way that wealthy, good, smart, long-term investors do it is they recognize value, and then they start buying it in size when something is at an extreme valuation. Bitcoin right now, I'm telling you, on May 11th, sub $30,000 is a very good value if you are a long-term holder. And by long-term, usually I mean at least 10 years. I'm telling you, if you have a two-plus-year time horizon, Buying 30,000 or sub 30K is a fantastic price. I believe this is not individual investment advice, but learn to recognize value. Quit trying to time the bottom. If you're still sitting in cash waiting to time the bottom before you get into Bitcoin, you might miss the boat. It, you, this might be the worst opportunity cost of your life. This may take off and, and go up again, and you will kick yourself, I promise you if, you, if you're not at least owning some Bitcoin. So, my final message is quit trying to time it recognize value. Bitcoin is a value. Please, please, please buy a little bit at least of Bitcoin at these prices. And that's my final point. There's nothing Great else words. that
1: needs to be said. Amen, sir. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Those <are> good words. <laughs> Thanks. I mean, that's why I keep posting my buy. I keep buying on the way down, right? You see it, Jeff. I, I keep yeah. buying on the way down. I'm not yep. trying to time that either. So it's like, buy, buy, buy. I'm signaling to the market. You should be doing the same. And I get these comments and replies. They're like, it's only going to go lower. Wait till 15. I'm not doing a lump sum buy trying to time the bottom. I'm buying as it's dropping. These are it's great way, buys.
0: It's the way to do it. As the very famous Preston Pish said at Bitcoin <laughs> 2022, 20, 20, buy Bitcoin and fall asleep for five years. That's, right. that's all you need to that's do. All, that's all you got to do. That's great quote.
1: That's it. All right, gents, that's uh, that's a wrap. And thank you for your time, guys. That was fun. Thanks,
3: guys. Thanks, everybody.
1: If you guys enjoyed this conversation, be sure to follow the show on whatever podcast application you use. Just search for We Study Billionaires. The Bitcoin specific shows come out every Wednesday, and I'd love to have you as a regular listener. If you enjoyed the show, or you learned something new, or you found it valuable. If you can leave a review, we would really appreciate that. And it's something that helps others find the interview in the search algorithm. So anything you can do to help out with a review, we would just greatly appreciate. And with that, thanks for listening, and I'll catch you again next week.